live long and prosper. I was going to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Lilu Dallas Multipass. Shut up and take my money. By Grabthar's hammer. <laughs> what a saving. One does not simply walk into Mordor. X never, ever marks the spot. Until he's coming. You're a wizard, Harry. Stay a while and listen. My whole Kermit frog here. ties are cool. So say we all. This is a Play on Nerds. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to, as always, a very special episode of A Play on Nerds. As we get into October and get to a spooky time of year, we're excited to bring you some chills and thrills. I'm Steve. This other guy is... And I'm Jarman. Uh, well, this week, to start getting in that spirit and in honor of the new Exorcist film, The Exorcist Believer, uh, we're doing a rule of three and watching The Exorcist 3. That's right. Because why wouldn't we? Because <laughs> why wouldn't we? Because it fits in with something we already do. And who else is talking about this movie? I bet more people are talking about it right now because the exorcist and everything. That might be our niche. But mind you, then one of my favorite YouTube online uh, video reviewer guys uh, that I consume reviewed Exorcist 3 just a few days ago. I was like, ah, that hurts my heart. Well, there you go. <laughs> We're in the zeitgeist. Everyone's top of mind. Uh, <laughs> but Jaron, before we get to the Exorcist 3, uh, what you got? You got some nerdy. I know what you've been up to. Uh, well, not too much. I one thing was kind of cute and fun was I went to uh, a cat video fest at the local Ooh. indie theater here. Um, and they basically it was for to raise money for a local charity cat organization, a pet rescue place. And uh, they had cats there. They brought out on stage first before the movie played to like so you can adopt these kittens, and they were adorable, of course. And uh, they had like door prizes and things like that, um, a raffle to raise money. And the movie itself was a collection of like America's Funniest Home Video type stuff with cats and also little short films interspersed in between about cats, which is really cute. Um, so it was an all around adorable time. Uh-huh. Um, also, since then, I got a new logo design for my business, which is not launched yet. I'm launching my whole website's relaunching soon. Hopefully, by the time you hear this podcast, it will have launched at JarmanVoices.com. It'll have a nice, beautiful new logo by a professional designer, not myself. Um, And so, yeah, it looks really good. I'm excited to launch it and maybe drum up some new business. So it'll be fun. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. How about you, Steve? Uh, uh, Well, I've just been working a lot. But on the home front, some exciting developments. Uh, Dilly has started pre-K. Oh, your littlest one. his first week right now. Yes. Uh, there is a county thing where there's uh, available pre-K for people that qualify and we checked and we qualify. And the closest one is about a 15 minute walk from our place, five minute drive. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and it's good, highly rated. We went and got to tour it, meet teachers and we really like it. And so he's going to be there for like five hours a day, five days a week. Oh man, this is the first, now your first time having both kids in school for most of the time of the day. You'll have a break. For a chunk. Anna will, I mean, not me, I will be working. Anna, though, is going to have a chunk of time back in her life. Yes. And every two weeks on a Wednesday, Anna and I will have no kid time together in the middle of a weekday. Oh, amazing. Which I can't like legitimately remember. The last time that was the case. <laughs> That's going to be different. It'll be like, yeah. it'll be like date day instead of date night. Um, so yeah, so it's going to be fun and a, a new adventure for Dilly. 
first yeah. few days he was really excited loved it today he came home a little less excited so we're gonna see if it holds oh so he's already started yeah he started uh, today was his third day nice fourth day. okay definitely be quieter in the house for you you know less to think about when we we're working and such i really he's just tired out well that's always helpful too that's right so does that take us to some nerdy news it sure does it's time for nerdy news oh yeah nerdy news so i gave it a little funny name as well the robo roach chronicles so a team of mechanical engineers at nanyang technological university in singapore have developed a non-invasive technology to turn cockroaches into cyborgs without cutting them open or killing them. They attach cuffs to cockroach antennas, which were connected by a wire to a tiny backpack, which sounds adorable, uh, glued to the back of the roach, where it receives signals wirelessly and sent gentle electric jolts to one antenna or to the other to turn the cockroach in a certain direction or to send signals to an electrode on its belly to make it speed up or slow down. Um, and I have to give credit to Mysterious Universe where I got this article from. Um, um, interesting story. Kind of terrifying because cockroaches are my least favorite thing in the world. Um, now we're able to remote control them. That sounds it's like something out of an old Bond movie or something. <laughs> what do you think about that, Steve? No, that sounds that's absolutely correct. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> and I've heard for a long time speculating that we could have flies with like cameras on them so we could have the little fake electronic flies that could fly into a room and spy on people and yeah i remember the spy aspect was always what i heard yeah you know whenever you heard stuff it was always like you know they could they can put a camera in a goldfish <laughs> you hear that and you could always swat a fly away but i think and it would just leave it alone and so it continue recording but if someone sees a cockroach <laughs> they will try to kill it like nothing else imagine imagine like a thriller film about an international you know jewel thief or something who comes in and immediately strangles all the fish to make sure they're not bugs <laughs> you killed all my exotic fish they, they could have been microphones let's go <laughs> I have a lot of cocaine to sell. Those were $1,000 a piece. And I have to change pants. They got wet. <laughs> oh, it's a cockroach. Kill it. It's got a backpack. So, yeah, that's the Robo Roach Chronicles. <laughs> nice. Nice. That takes us to our main segment, talking about Exorcist 3. That's with right. With our Rule of Three segment. Uh, so this movie is about a, a police lieutenant, kind of old and gruff, who starts noticing murders like he hasn't seen in years from a long supposed dead serial killer, the Gemini Killer. That's right. Uh, some clues lead him to a local mental ward where he starts to interview and ask questions about various patients. Um, meanwhile, People are murdered, like a priest is murdered. Who else is murdered? His like best friend priest is also murdered. His best friend, two priests. And are then murdered. a kid who is uh he visited oh, often at yeah. the little boys and girls club um is also murdered and they're decapitated and oh, yeah, in terrible man. ways. Um so meanwhile, all this is happening. Uh so this is where everything gets hazy, including the plot. <laughs> um, so he tracks it down to this one guy who's supposedly in like solitary confinement has been there for years after being found, I don't know, naked on the street or something. Um, and it's 
the old the priest from the first movie, the young priest, which you do get to see for a little bit, but then to visualize that he is possessed, they put in a young Brad Dourif, mm-hmm. who plays a good crazy guy, always does, <laughs> um, to sort of play the demon possessing him. Um. So this police chief tries to to gain evidence and understand what's happening, facing his own demons along the way, and eventually summoning a priest to try to exorcise the demon. And basically, it's the soul of the uh, Gemini killer from 15 years ago who is is definitely dead. And so he's like, how is this guy somehow controlling these murders? Because from his, his cell, his solitary cell in the mental hospital, he knows all the details of the recent murders that are mimicking the Gemini killer from 15 years ago. And so basically it's the Gemini killer was put into this priest's body at the time of his death by a demon, the same demon who possessed Reagan in the exorcist one. It's all very convenient guys. And we find out that the priests that were killed were involved somewhat in Reagan's um, exorcism. And that's why the demon that was exorcised is seeking vengeance upon them. And the little boy that was killed his mother helped in translating something that Reagan had said, so he killed him too. Um, it's yeah, so it's loosely linked to the first movie in that regard. So loose, <laughs> like a belt at the end of Thanksgiving dinner. Just so loose, <laughs> just hanging off. Um, so the the priest comes; he's like mortally wounded by this by this demon, and then George C. Scott shows up and tries to shoot him. And then there's this whole thing where he's got to face his own demons and snakes and fire. And uh, and then he calls out to God and the priest gets the last thing and sh- and like reflects the light of, I think, a, cro- a crucifix into the demon. And it's enough for George C. Scott to break free and still just grab his gun and shoot him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he just shoots the guy and the guy's gone. Well, he breaks the, sp- the spell enough long enough on Father Karras, who's like, the body that's being inhabited to where he can right. gain, regain control enough to free uh, George C. Scott from the wall. So he can then go and shoot, he just shoot. shoots him. He's like, kill me now. Kill me before he takes control again. Um, so that happens. But then there's like one final cliffhanger, right? Did I do this in the wrong order? Where was, they go to his house? Oh, that was before that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we missed a whole part of the movie. So I want to do a little behind the scenes here, folks. Uh, Steve, did I'm not normally in charge of the summary. That's I okay. It's a hard job to do, so I understand. I, always, I typically own the summary, and I just plum forgot. <laughs> I had my whole episode arranged. I was happy with it, and just plum forgot that I needed to do the summary. You did pretty well, I would say. I did all right. So there's a point at which the demon is not in the jail anymore, and he's like, oh, God, it's gone after my wife and kid. So he's got to race home, and then there's this crazy old lady who also killed a priest earlier, and she's there possessed by the demon. And she tries to murder his whole family, uses this crazy pair of scissors from hell (laughs) try to murder his decapitate his daughter. They're basically like scissors they use for like in the for autopsies to like cut through bone and stuff. Yeah, or, that's how they justify. I think it was like to cut open a rib cage because they open really the easy scissors. and then they close automatically, so they can like just chop off anything. And it's pretty cool actually for horror movies. <laughs> yeah, just real good stuff. So that happened before. Yeah, before he so, then went and killed the guy with the gun in the right. In the cell. And you just shot him. <laughs> um. So, Jordan, what did you had you seen this movie before? I don't think so, but uh, leading up to The Exorcist coming out, the YouTube company I work for, I had narrated a bunch of videos 
um, about The Exorcist and the series. So I actually did a long one recently, the whole series of The Exorcist, a recap of everything you missed up until this point. Um, so I talk about what each movie is about. You can find it on um, Slash Film on YouTube. If you look it up, I'll do a whole list. Nice. So I actually had a lot of knowledge going into this movie, and I was like, have Very I seen nice. this before? But I had, I had heard of things about this one being so much better than the second movie because the first movie came out, William Freakin, it was a classic. It was very well-crafted. And then they didn't involve him in the second one, and it was just a piece of garbage. And so he didn't want to come back for a third one, but he got involved with this one because of the writer. The writer of the first movie wanted to direct this one, so William Freakin was like, okay, I'll help you out with this one. Um, and so this one was actually pretty well-crafted, and it was um, – the issue was – the guy who wrote it, Blatty, I think his name is, he wanted to make this the second one and they turned him down. So he just wrote it into a book. And so it was a book that he made separate from the Exorcist series. And it wasn't really a horror movie type of script or book. So when they wanted to make another movie and they let him do it, he kind of adapted his book to this movie and had to shoehorn in the Exorcist elements into it. So it's more just going to be about mm. this Gemini killer possessing you feel it. A body and then nothing to do with a demon possession. Just this demon, this is a bad guy. His soul had possessed this body of this other guy, but they wanted to bring the studio wanted to bring in an old character from the exorcist. They brought in the old father Karis, the young priest from the first movie. And then they, they stuck. Yeah, they, I, I remember you could feel it in the movie. I remember even in the dialogue. Yeah. I was like, man, they're really explaining this a lot. Like they really want us to understand how this demon got this guy's soul and this other guy's body. Like right. they really went into it. I was like, why are they telling us this? Oh, because they know this doesn't make sense. Got it. Now it's the Brad Dourif exposition scene. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And, and there wasn't even a possession or a demon involved at the end of the movie or an exorcism. And the studio was like, it's called the exorcist three. We got to have an exorcism in it. So they actually went into reshoots the whole uh, priest that comes in at the end to do an exorcism was all added in later for like $4 million, that whole flaying of his skin and everything. That wasn't in the original cut of the film. Good, because it didn't make any sense. Yeah, basically in the end that of the original. That makes sense because I remember I, I turned to Anna and I said, have we seen that guy before? And she goes, maybe once at the beginning. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> he wasn't mentioned at all. <laughs> um, originally, he just goes in and he has to kill him. And it's a, it's a moral dilemma because it was his friend's body. But he just shoots him. There's nothing nothing supernatural stopping him. He just shoots him in the head and he dies. That was the original ending of the movie. Um, right. But they're like, that's depressing. And and thrown against the wall and the snakes. <laughs> yeah. And the, fire. the whole hell opening up from below and all that stuff. But anyways, that was uh, a whole thing. But I I, I actually really like this. Um, I thought the dialogue, the editing, the directing was all really cool. It, it was felt like a like an indie 70s movie. Nothing like a like a horror exorcist movie um, until the very end, obviously, with all the supernatural stuff happening. But um, I I like the there was very quick, funny dialogue through the best of the first half of the movie. George C. Scott was pretty awesome, and uh, you got Brad Dourif kicking ass as well. Um, I don't know; those are some good stuff about it. I have more things I like, but what about you, Steve? Um, this was, I mean, this movie gets a lot of ire. If you look online, it gets a lot of ire and a lot of a lot of anger. Um, but did I think it was as bad as that ire deserves? No. I think it was a good movie. No. <laughs> um, there were that you could feel the 
disjointedness of the movie and of the themes. It was a cop drama thriller in the vein of Seven that right. had an exorcist movie stamped over top of it. Uh, like they did with all that Star Trek merchandise in the 60s. <laughs> where they just put Star Trek on everything. Star Trek, the alarm clock. Star Trek, the helmet. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Not like that era. Um, like that's what they did with the exorcist on this. George D. Scott, while great, was in a different movie than everyone else. Yeah. That's he true. was just in a different film. I felt like his his kind of outbursts and the thing with the carp and <laughs> like and and his outbursts at the nurse and his his sarcastic remarks with his with his like coworkers and the other police are great, but their tone it just is entirely wrong. Just entirely wrong. Now, mind you, maybe it wasn't for the original movie they were gonna make that they stamped the exorcist over, but no someone should have done some rewrites to fit him to the exorcist movie that ended up happening. Yeah. He was like in a seventies cop movie and this was right. They, someone needed to tailor the script a little bit more and they didn't. So George C. Scott played that role. He just played the one from the other movie. And see, that's weird. Cause kind of what ended up making me like it is that it felt like a seventies cop movie that was kind of morphed and integrated with the horror exorcism movie. And I was like, that's kind of neat. And I kind of like, I love the banter between him and his friend going to the, it's a wonderful life. And, um, the way this grizzled cop was, and then mixing him in with a supernatural horror element and seeing this grizzled cop, like facing down with a demon and being like, you know what I fucking hate? I hate the pestilence in the world, the slime, all this garbage. That's what I believe in is all this crap. And it's like, People don't react that way in normal horror movies to a demon confronting them. He's just like, I don't give a fuck. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I don't know. I like that. Uh, but I will say um, that whole 70s cop feel movie with the horror film thing made it move really slow. Like it felt very slow at times. Like what's well, happening? I'm going to agree with the executives on this one. You know, if I went to go see a movie called Exorcist 3, you know what I would probably expect to see? An exorcism, a demon, and then an exorcism of that demon. <laughs> yes, that um, is true. And this movie somehow managed to deliver kind of not on either of those, really. Um, <laughs> so I think I got to mark it down for that, regardless of how good George C. Scott was in this movie. <laughs> uh, I will say the other thing I thought was bad. Uh, first of all, a dial audio dialogue, like the audio was messed up, and a lot of the dubs of the lines and looping was mismatched, and like. It was taking me out of it a lot because, like, why does this line sound different than the last one he just said in the same room? It was, it was, it was all over the place with that. But also, celebrity cameos were very strange. Did you catch any of those? Um, there was. Oh yeah, what was it? One of the nurses at one point. No. So when they're in the restaurant, uh, Larry King has like one line. He's like, "Oh, thank you very much. I'll have this." And then they cut away. I'm like, "Why is Larry King in this shot? Is that important later?" And no, it wasn't. It was just a Larry King cameo for no reason. Now, mind you, this did have a very interesting cast in that there were, you know, you got young Brad Dourif. Mm-hmm. You have young Scott Wilson who went on to be uh, Herschel in The Walking Dead. That's right. I recognized him. Uh, you get a working actor like Grand L. Bush, who most of us knew as, know as Balrog from the Street Fighter movie. Oh, that's who that was. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you get a very young Ken Lerner as Dr. Friedman. You get a bunch of classic actors sort of in the, the veil of their careers. Even the guy who played the priest who does the exorcism, he was uh, Merlin and Excalibur. 
and he was in spawn. Yeah. He even spawn. He played the like the death guide from spawn. And then Ed Flanders, the kind of like tortured priest who gets killed. You know, he's been on a ton of stuff. He was on Saint Elsewhere for like 120 episodes. It says. And somebody else who you might not have noticed, because I didn't at first either, was Samuel L. Jackson um, in the scene in, he- a, in heaven, heaven where he's like in a dream. George C. Scott's like walking through a dream of heaven or something. There's a guy with headphones on who's like, man, all the living are deaf. And that's Samuel L. Jackson just hanging out. <laughs> but it's before he was famous. So he was, he was a nobody at this time. Um, and then also in heaven, we pass by Fabio is one of the like angels hanging out there. And they do a big slow pan close up on his oh, face. Patrick, I think it's Patrick Ewing is an angel. Uh, Patrick Ewing, it was an angel, and he was another another right. shot earlier in the movie as not an angel as himself walking around the college campus. Um oh, man. so much good stuff in one place. And then C. Everett Coop, which I recognize the mm-hmm. name, but I didn't recognize him. He was the former US Surgeon General, and he was also in that same restaurant scene that Larry Larry King was in, just because he was around and they put him in the shot. And so these all just like were very strange to me. And I was like, why are all these celebrity cameos here? And they were there for no reason. It was just very distracting for the movie itself. Yeah. Very weird. But overall, what's your, uh, your take from this? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, it was George C. Scott was good, but in a different movie, the right. exorcist three as a exorcist movie is a poor showing. As a movie by itself, I thought it was pretty good as far as from that era. And But then you're right. If it's part of the Exorcist canon, it's strange. It doesn't really fit. The, the, but I did feel the, the dread throughout and stuff like that. But it was just. And there were some. There were some parts that played um, specifically the uh, confessional scene. Yeah. With the priest and her saying the terrible things. That was a great horror suspenseful scene. It was creepy. It didn't rely on gore until the, you know, a little bit at the end. But after the really terrible thing had happened, you know, that felt very exorcisty. But otherwise, it was lacking moments like that. There was the old lady crawling on the ceiling in the house hospital. That was kind of creepy for the time. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a lot of super scary moments in this. Not no jump scares really of any sort. Yeah, um, there was one. What was it? I remember I could hear it because I could hear it coming because the volume of the entire movie changed. And I went, oh, here comes the jump scare. <laughs> There was the one time in the church where that that random woman jumps out at him to give give him a speech Maybe. for the priest. That was like, what the hell is this about? It was yeah, it was definitely kind of a mess as far as the backstory behind it, and that's why it kind of came out as a little bit of a mess. But uh, it wasn't terrible, I would say. <laughs> so some trivia for this, as I mentioned, William Peter Blatty, the writer uh, who wrote The Exorcist One, who directed this. He made the film based on his novel Legion, which was published in 1983. Um, and then Morgan Creek, which is the studio that made this, decided to call it Exorcist 3 Legion, even though the screenplay and novel featured no exorcisms whatsoever. Uh, so as I said, after principal photography was completed, the misleading nature of the title was noticed, and the producers determined that additional scenes need to be written and added into the film to make it more recognizable as a sequel. Um, the last third of the whole movie had to be entirely redone, with the insertion of a new character, Father Morning, um, and an exorcism scene that cost $4 million. Wow. Uh, William Peter Blatty had hoped to recover the deleted footage of the Morgan from the Morgan Creek vaults of the last third of the movie that they took away so that he might reassemble the original cut of the film, which he said it was rather different from what was released. 
Unfortunately for him and for the fans who have been clamoring for this release, the footage was lost for years. And on June 28, 2007, Blatty's wife sent the following comment to a fan site. My husband tells me that it is Morgan Creek's claim that they have lost all the footage, including an alternate opening scene in which we, uh, Kinderman, the detective, views the body of Father Karras in the morgue right after his fall down the steps from the first movie. What a shame, mm. he says. However, the missing footage was finally found in 2016 on VHS cassette tapes because it was from the dailies that they had. And so the original version was finally restored almost because it was low quality VHS Yeah, right before his death. Uh, and he died the next year in 2017. So he got to see his original version in 2016, right before he died. Yeah, that's cool. Um, 20th Century Fox and Morgan Creek Studios were afraid that repossessed in 1990, a parody of The Exorcist that also starred Linda Blair. I forgot that that existed. Oh my God! Uh, would come out first before this movie and ruin the chances of anyone taking this film seriously. So, according to Linda Blair, The Exorcist Three was rushed released ahead of Repossessed, uh, and it hijacked the later's publicity and forced the co- comedy to be released a month later than was originally intended. But I can't believe she did a parody movie of her own movie, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, and this is a fun one, the last one. Uh, in an interview on the bonus features of the collector's edition of this movie. Brad Dourif opens up saying the reason why Jason Miller, uh, who played Father Karras from the original movie, was originally unavailable to reprise his role as Father Karras is because he was a severe alcoholic and had developed wet brain, which meant he could not memorize the two long monologues the Gemini Killer has. He says this led to him sharing the role with the actor in the theatrical cut. Um, He would recite the monologue while Miller could handle the shorter lines. So... There was kind of a reason why they had him, you know, Brad Dourif and him switching off because the other guy was just too drunk most of the time to be able to, <laughs> to handle the lines, which is too bad. And good for Brad Dourif. Yeah. Good good his part got bigger because of that. Exactly. And he went on to play tons of crazy people afterwards. That's right. So, Steve, you got a bit for us, eh? I do. So this I'm going to choose to to kind of go around the better part of this movie, which is the whole Zodiac killer detective aspect. Uh, and so I'm, I've got some kind of some crazy uh, examples of other serial killers through history that I had never heard of. Oh, interesting. And I'm going to call this segment Real Monsters. Mm, true. Uh, and so in all of these, I'm going to refer to them by the name that the media called them, because that way, if you Google search them, uh, it'll add to the stat of them being found by that rather than by the by the real name. That's always good. That's the so that's I want them to be found for the monsters they were. Yes. All right, so there's the Angel of Bremen, uh, was a German serial killer in the early 1800s, and uh, she poisoned 15 people with arsenic. Yeesh. Yeah. Uh, the Alligator Man. Oh. Well, he had a pond in his backyard, kept six big gators in there. Locals even paid to watch him during feeding time. And this is the first red flag. Feeding time mostly consisted of live cats and dogs. To the gators. Oh, he killed a bunch of women and then fed them to the gators because upon interviewing him, he legitimately believed that without a body, he literally couldn't be convicted of the murder. Oh, geez. <laughs> he, he legitimately believed this. God. Um, so then there's the giggling grandma. Uh, mm-hmm. She killed 11 people. Uh, big red flag here. Uh, they finally caught her on, caught on after the death of her fifth husband under suspicious circumstances in a hospital in Oklahoma. She killed 
four husbands, two children, a sister, and like a mother-in-law or something. Jeez, poisoning them all, I guess. Um, I didn't didn't bother to read that much. Yeah. Um, And then there's Pork Chop Rob. Uh, He is one of the most notorious serial killers in Canadian history. Uh, He was a ex-butcher's apprentice uh, who worked a pig farm along with his brothers and with his brother and um, authorities originally had just had a warrant to look at his place for legal firearms. Uh, But then they found some strange evidence and they got another search warrant and came back and um, they hit him with first. He got two charges of murder for women that had gone missing. And then as they searched more, they, uh, they tagged him with an additional three. Um, And then there was the sixth and then a seventh. Um, and then there were four more, and then there were four more after that. Oh, my God. For a total of 15. The Canadian government apparently spent has spent $70 million on the search as they sift through the soil for human remains. And they believe that there is a chance that he ground up some of the human remains to mix with pork that he sold to the public. Ugh. What time frame was that? Uh, I think that one was like the 80s. Oh, my God. 70s or 80s, maybe. That one was much more recent. The photos and stuff were much more recent. Yikes. Um, yeah, so that's uh, Real Monsters. Thanks for bringing us down. <laughs> yeah, no, someone I mean, had to. It's on brand for this episode. It's on brand. It's like halloween it's, stuff. It's, 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 it's creepy. Little, little creepy and scary, and we just talked about the Gemini killer. That's true. The Exorcist is three, the best one. So that brings us some radical recommends. Yeah, recommend. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend pleasant. So I forgot to go with the theme, and here's my radical recommends of spooky men's grooming. Ooh. It's not spooky at all. <laughs> so I was like thinking, I haven't really watched anything new or played any new video games or read anything new. So I'm going to recommend some uh, male grooming that we could be doing better, gentlemen, uh, that has really worked for me. And I think it worked for you guys, too, if you don't already do some of this stuff. Uh, if you're growing a beard out, uh, use some beard oil. And I say this because it prevents um, shaving bumps, like when you cut around your beard. And it also helps it grow in softer and you get less itching. And I found this out only recently that if you use beard oil, you can find cheap stuff online or in a store. Um, you put it, it's meant to go on your skin, not the hair. So you're basically trying to push it into your skin and rub it around, not just get it on the hair itself. I didn't know that until recently. So I was rubbing it on the beard, but it's actually for getting into the skin and on your uh, hair itself. And it makes it your okay. beard nice and soft. Uh, also for me, cause I'm losing my hair. Uh, minoxidil is, has worked wonders for me. My hair is not growing back in spades, but I've been using it for about a year now and it went from hair coming out almost in clumps in the shower, scaring the crap out of me, to slowing it down to just a few here and there every now and then. So I'm probably still losing it over time, but much slower than I was before. Um, and they say in a lot of cases it will start to grow back. Mine hasn't really yet, but it's just, it's slowing down to where I have a maintainable amount of hair. And I'm, I probably would be almost bald at this point if I hadn't started it. So I highly recommend it for those just starting to go bald, or if you really want to try to grow some back, you can start it now. It takes about eight months to really start to really kick in to grow any back, um, but it's definitely helped me maintain. Um, nice. Moisturizing. 
I think a lot of men don't do this. And I don't at all. I know. And I, my skin is oily as is. I don't need help. Well, no, because there's there's good moisturizers out there that aren't just about making your skin more, you know, moisturized, basically wet or oily. Uh, you get ones for oily skin, too, because just the fact that you're, even your natural oil is coming out too much. You still need to be able to moisturize the skin itself with healing properties that make it so you're not aging as fast. Um, and it'll just take years off your life over time. So if you just basically moisturize your face once a day or at night before you go to sleep, just once a day, just rub it in. It feels really nice, too. And they have ones for oily skin, for dry skin. Um, and just try to do it down all the way to like your neck because that's a lot of things, too. People use this for years and their face looks really nice, but you can see how old somebody is because their neck looks old as fuck. <laughs> so basically, it's like if you're going to do it at all, try to do also your neck, but then you're not doing the rest of your body with expensive facial moisturizer. But expensive means like six bucks for a, for a thing of it and it lasts a really long time, whereas opposed to like regular lotion, like you know three bucks. So just get a little bit, you know, six bucks if you can get more. Cool. Also, uh, for me, I had really dry, thick hair. My, I've got a lot of gray hair, so it's really thick and dry and wiry. So leave-in conditioner has worked wonders for me as well. Just put it in your hair, leave it in all day, and your hair will feel totally different after about a week or so. You'll start noticing your hair is softer and more pliable and stuff. Great stuff. Uh, shave your beard line. If you have a beard or scruff or some kind, don't let it grow scraggly down your neck. Shave it off. It's really easy, and it makes a huge world difference. Also, big recommend to a brand, Galaxy Dust. They make the best ball powder I've ever found. Just putting it out there. I, know I don't know. I'm still a big believer in Gold Bond. Gold Bond's great. I use it for a long time. I just graduated to this uh, Galaxy Dust stuff. There's a lot. comes in a cheap package, probably like seven bucks. But it's like this, you know, a big container of it. And it lasts, it's, I still have a bottle I've used forever. And I use a lot too. And it's just, it's have all different kind of smells and it's actually all natural stuff too, but it works really well. Keeps you dry. You occasionally during the day, you'll get a wind, some wind going there and you'll feel the coldness and you'll smell it a little bit too. And it smells great. Keeps you smelling good. Keeps you dry. No chafing, all that stuff. Especially if you're going to the gym, it's, it's wonderful. So galaxy dust, check it out. I'm going to look it up right now. Galaxy. Yeah. They're not even on Amazon. I, th I think if I last time I checked, they're just on their own website. I did some research and I'd found them through another recommendation and I, I love this, the different smells and um, just highly recommend it. And yeah, if you're, if you're with a lady, especially keep that area dry down there, you know, and, and for yourself for the chafing, you know, that's great. Um, and not everybody needs this, but I have some rough spots in my skin, especially my arms exfoliate once a week, get a, like a little scrub brush of some sort, uh, a loofah that has like a kind of a rough material to it. You don't want to do it every day because it'll dry out your skin and make your skin irritated. But once a week, exfoliate those areas. If you don't have that problem, don't worry about it. And floss. That's my last one. I didn't floss for years. Never really did. I thought I don't need to. My teeth are always fine. But eventually I went to the dentist after not going for a long time and they're like, we have to do a deep cleaning on you. And it cost me like $900. It was ridiculous with insurance. Um, but once I started flossing now, every time I go back, it's a simple, quick cleaning. It doesn't hurt, hurt as much when I go to the dentist when they clean because they're having to do less scraping and chunking and moving around. So flossing saves you money and saves you pain. So just try to start doing it. I know it's hard, but add it to your routine once a day. That's all you got to do. So that's my spooky a, men's grooming things like once a week. What was that? Maybe. I do those floss picky things like once a week, maybe twice. Yeah. And, twi and once or twice a week is really, it's still good. Better than nothing. 
Um, and those, I love the floss picks. I use those. That's what I use. Uh, I love well. those things. Yeah, they're so much better than regular. I had floss. a water pick for a while, and it was great and all, but I felt like I just never made any progress because I get to try that thing on for three seconds before my entire mouth is just filled with water. <laughs> I never understood how to use those things. I never. I heard they're good, but I just can't figure it out. <laughs> so I get you. Yeah. And all right, so that brings Let's us to some trailer reviews. All right, this week I chose The Toxic Avenger with Peter Dinklage, oh, of yeah. all people, playing Toxie. And uh, we got our first real trailer um, that I think really sets the tone. What did you think? It was so short, unfortunately, but it's yeah, kind of like it was a, more teaser. Of a teaser. We didn't get to see him really. Not yeah, like an, it's just like a figure. But um, I think it looks ridiculous, super gory, over the top, really fun, really silly. Not taking itself seriously at all. Um, it has Peter Dinklage, like you said, as a Toxic Avenger. Uh, Kevin Bacon's in it in some kind of role. Uh, Elijah Wood. <laughs> I saw one still frame of him apparently on the I think internet. He's the bad guy, maybe. He looks really weird and creepy, like like worm tongue or something. It's it's it looks weird, <laughs> but fun. What do you think? Uh, I think I think they really, even with a short trailer, really set the tone for mm. what I think the audience can expect from the film. We got that little glimpse of like eighties nostalgia right at the beginning, which was a good admission of like these are the glasses you're seeing this through, right? Uh, and, but then we got, luckily they cut, I was like, is this going to be the whole movie? And they cut away. Nope. It's going to be a regular movie. We get good looks at people. It's not going to be, it'll be artistic, but not overly. So, um, I think they did a good job of setting the tone for the film while not showing us a whole lot. And we got to see that there will be gore. Yeah. That's what a trailer should be all about, man. It's like actually yeah. teasing us and not giving us the whole damn movie. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Yeah. They had that VHS kind of feel in the beginning, and then it suddenly switches slowly over to cinematic looking. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's going to be actually really pretty too. <laughs> a lot of gore. Um, so, uh, what, what do you what do you give this movie? Uh, I will give this. Uh, so it's, I'm gonna give this uh, Gary Busey mm-hmm. falling into a a, a uh, radioactive pit like the Joker did in Batman. And Raul Julia was so close to saving him, but he fell over the edge. And when he comes out, he's all disfigured and and disgusting looking. And Raul Julia is like, no, what have I done? But then Gary Busey's like, oh, man, I've never been happier. I feel strong. I, I feel clear headed. I-, I feel fantastic. I'm glad you didn't save me. Raul, I, I think a whole new life's going to happen for me. <laughs> and basically, he's the toxic Busenger. At this point. Okay, I have I have a, a similar kind of review. Oh, yeah. uh, so I'm going to give this. Gary Busey walks in one day, and he's straightened up, and his hair is combed. And he's got a sincere look on his face. And he goes, "Ralph, I want you to know, I got a job. <gasps> you did. I'm going to be a janitor. I'm going to go and scrub toilets, and I'm going to stop doing all the pills. <laughs> it's time, bro." <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I just want you to know I appreciate you putting up with me all these years. <laughs> I gotta go. And then he puts on his jumpsuit and it's for like it's for like a toxic waste management company. And that day he goes to work and falls into a vat of toxic waste. <laughs> and but he gets out and Raul is home and he's made a special dinner for Gary because he's so happy he finally turned his life around. He made taquitos just like Gary likes. Taquitos. With the ketchup, ketchup, not salsa, just oh, like God. Gary likes. And <laughs> he's got him out and ready. And then here's the card he goes. And it's just 
Gary Busey runs his covered in green sludge with an extra arm growing out of him. Well, I'm home. I'm home crazier than ever. Oh, no. I thought it was all going to change, and now it's worse somehow. No, it's only worse. Oh, God. Um, Did you at least get your paycheck? No, fired immediately. <laughs> oh, God. So you're unemployed and disgusting. I wasn't even employed when this happened. I was looking for the bathroom. Oh, God. My worst uh, so nightmare. That, that's it. <laughs> Gary Busey finally straightens up, gets his shit together, gets a job, goes, has a terrible chemical accident, comes home. Isn't that how it always works? Correct. Goes, gets fired for a different reason, has a terrible chemical accident, <laughs> comes home. Yeah, he was masturbating and he got fired. And so <laughs> then he went to the bathroom and he accidentally fell into the belt pit. Uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, my review for the Toxic Avenger. Good times. So uh, that brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, join us next time for our Halloween Spooky Spectacular, more specifically, our ChatGPT Halloween Spooky Spectacular, where we will have ChatGPT giving us a roll of fortune, if you will, of different Halloween and spooky-related topics to talk about. So anything could happen, guys. Anything. Any mix and match, anything, as long as it's one of these 12 choices. That's right. <laughs> that we won't know before. Uh, but come on back for that. Wear a costume. I'll be wearing one. Uh, and we'll be your nerdy co-hosts. You come back and be our nerdy audience. And thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Feel free to email feedback at aplayonnerds.com with all your questions or comments. Shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter and earn yourself a sweet shout out on the show. Review us on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts so even more nerds can find us. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, we aren't picky. Check out our entire back catalog and other offerings at aplayonnerds.com. And how? How?